Welcome to Chit Chat Money. Today is Tuesday, February 16th. We don't have an interview today uh, and we're kind of uh, trying to maybe tune it or pull it back a little bit on the interviews. I feel like recently we've been going after interviews and then coming up with questions. We want more relevant interviews, stuff where we really have questions that we want to ask and they have the answers. So uh, uh, we just might have less interviews is, is that a good way of explaining Yeah, we're not, we're, we're not trying to fill every week with an interview. Uh, it's, it's not a little that, commoditized now. Yeah, it's not that the interviews we had were bad. I mean, I thought all the ones we had in January were great. Yeah. But yeah, it is commoditized. We can't compete with the big dogs out there like Invest Like the Best. Mm-hmm. And we thought we'd focus on stuff that makes sense for our show. We're hoping to do better with the topics, you know, put right. some more research into those for the first half of the show. Uh, but yeah, I mean... Nothing much will change, but just don't expect an interview every week. Yeah. All right. And then what are you talking about for your story this week? You have like three. Three. I got three. Yeah. I guess this is part of the reason we're going to try to mix it up, expand this a little longer this week. I have Clubhouse and Twitter spaces. So Clubhouse has been a big growth um, company. I guess it's a huge startup unicorn now. The Bumble IPO, which I thought would be a fun discussion. And then Howard Marks and Joe Greenblatt had an interview on Real Vision. I bit the bullet. And I resubscribe to Real Vision. I do that probably three times a year. Yeah. So I don't know, but whatever. Shout I mean, to real, Rao Pao. I, Rao Pao. Uh, but yeah, that, those are my stories. What about you? Uh, I'm talking about TurboTax's dirty past. Uh, I came across a pretty good article. Uh-huh. It was a. It was from a while back, but uh, I came across it this week, and I thought it was nice. pretty fascinating. And then. Uh, I have some good – I think I have one pretty solid hot water. Uh, and then we got buy, sell, hold, anecdotal evidence, current state of FinTwit. Uh, yeah, let's go. And then wait, what? Oh, uh, oh we're going to talk about set investing. Right. They're going to get their new analyst hopefully sometime soon. We don't know who it is. Uh, we don't have any inside info there, but we're excited. Uh, we just talked with them on their seven investing podcast. Yeah. Feel free to go, listen to, go listen to that. Yeah, if you want any in- insight into how we kind of run our fund. But – yeah, I mean, what do we got to talk about? The the promo code CCM, get $10 off your first month. Help us out. Help Seven Investing out. Help yourself out with the research. Anything else? I, I just checked the email where every time every time someone subscribes using our code, we get an email. So yeah, work, it's just rolling in. They're working hard for us. Or you guys are working hard for us. <laughs> yeah, and again, look, their research is fantastic for anyone that's looking to invest in individual stocks, uh, but doesn't do it as a full-time job. Great to have a, yeah, we don't want to belater it, but yeah. yeah. All right, here you go. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. I'm going to kick things off talking about TurboTax's dirty past. So the article I found this week was written by Justin Elliott and Paul Keel uh, from ProPublica. It's not something I'm familiar with. Is Justin Elliott the guy that's doing the WeWork book or is that a different guy? I'm not sure. I mean, this thing was well written. So I assume he does a lot more writing than just like this one article. (laughs) Uh, But it was an older article. I think it was from 2019. And it really highlights some of Intuit's scummy business practices, which I didn't quite know existed. 
Um, and so here's a quote that I found uh, from be- from the beginning. Intuit recognized that its success depended on two parallel missions: stoking innovation in Silicon Valley while stifling it in Washington. So essentially, the government has been trying to make easy tax filing free to everyone for a long time. Now. Really? Wow. Um, and Intuit has been spending a lot of money to send lobbyists to stop that. Uh, and so one of the primary things that's been hindering the government from creating uh, a free tax filing system is the uh, they had a 2003 free file program that the that the uh, tax filing parties so into it and then there's other tax prep companies as well kind of like H&R block right yeah and then so them and the government kind of came to this agreement and it was we will have free online filing for low-income taxpayers if the IRS won't create its own government-run system so they were like, we will keep it free for low income so long as you guys keep our business afloat. Mm. One catch was that Intuit apparently added code to the free file landing page that hid it from Google and other search engines, which made it harder to find, which is, I, I mean, this is true. I, I looked it up. It's not super easily apparent if you're low income. Um, and yeah, so it just felt a little hidden. They also went into some of the predatory practices on something they called FUD FUD, which I think is basically <laughs> that's funny because it's the the whatever the people call short sellers, fear, <laughs> unsecurity, and doubt, or whatever. No, uncertainty and doubt. Sorry. Yeah, ahead. that's what it is. Is oh, people really? are fear like they fear that they're going to get something wrong. Right. They're uncertain, okay. and so then uh, TurboTax has certain pricing strategies that kind of feed on that. Um, and so in 2018 Intuit almost actually enshrined the fee file, the free file program in law forever. So between HR, HR block Intuit and some of the other tax prep companies, they almost kept this law. They almost put it in law forever that this is how the system would work. Um, however, ProPublica published this research and it brought about a bunch of backlash nice. and to the best of my knowledge, nothing, the, the, the law never got uh, filed or passed. Um, and so, yeah, it just kind of opened my eyes to the fact that <laughs> this maybe should be a free thing for individuals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't you think the tax filing systems a little outdated? Uh, yeah. Look, the, for indi- I, I can just speak on individuals, right? Um, and I'm no expert on tax filing, but if you're just, a, I guess, a standard person who has a few sources of income, probably one main income and a house, I mean, it's got to be so much easier because everyone's very cookie cutter in that sense. Where, say, yeah. you're a middle class family, uh, you have whatever, 100000 in income, maybe lower, and then you have some investments on the side and you own some home equity. I don't know. That's got to be free. And the thing, it's not that, you know, Intuit can't be a business or something and make money, but the time it'll free up from people, like the return on time spent would just be phenomenal because people spend way too much time doing their taxes, right? Yeah. And uh, that is the other thing is the IRS said they could introduce a product where it is simple, easy to use, or they could even give like predicted, uh, like tax return file, like statements. So they know what, you base it off last year and they can basically go ahead and give you the same sort of criteria. Um, but TurboTax has spent so much money lobbying mm-hmm. that it's kind of uh, kept government away from doing anything. And and lobbying in itself isn't bad, but I mean, you know, 
I guess wh- why doesn't the government just give them like a gracious buyout? Oh, Wouldn't like that a, solve everything? Like a uh, yeah, yeah, buy out the shareholders or whatever. Because I guess people are worried about it. it would be unfair to Intuit as a business. But it's like, well, it would be a lot better for the country as a whole. Because um, Intuit's Intuit's big claim is they're like, well, if the government were the ones that were uh, telling you how to file taxes, it'd be a big conflict of interest. Well, aren't they all? I mean, uh, I mean, what well, that doesn't make any sense. Because the government's the one that's doing it anyways, right? I mean, there's yeah, they're saying in the long gonna, run, like, they're going to do whatever they can to get you to pay more because they're giving you sort of the advice. Whereas TurboTax uh, is trying to, they, I mean, they market themselves as the friend of the taxpayer, right? Where it's like we're helping uh, you pay less, right? They had all those Super Bowl commercials where it's like, actually, yeah. you can get a deduction off this and this. They, they're basically saying the government won't help you with that. Yeah, they are good at marketing. I'll give them that. I, I, I don't know. It seems to me that the balance of having TurboTax as a middleman, making people pay, keeping all this confusion. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's not a terrible thing. But for individuals, just it's not necessarily paying TurboTax. That doesn't probably cripple people's finances or anything like that. But it's just the time wasted. That's the huge deal. It would improve yeah. people's lives just in general. Yeah, I- is it ever a concern for you if companies spend wait like spend a whole bunch of money lobbying, like as a percentage of their sales or something like that? Yeah, because uh, it I, feels some, like yeah. I don't know. It seems like they can't they can't protect the business by their innovation, so they have to insulate it by lobbying. Yeah, I, I don't think it's something we. It's something. It doesn't make it unownable because we do own Altria, who is very ton of, spent tons of money, yeah. tons of money on lobbying for their own businesses. But it is something to watch yeah. because for a business like Intuit, if it's relying on this government, um, I mean, I don't, do, the big government tech, big tech spends a whole bunch of money lobbying too. Yeah. It's not, but that, as a percentage of revenue, it might be a tiny bit lower. It, it yeah. doesn't make a bad business. Per se, but it's just something that you have to track with a business like Intuit for sure. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was worth sort of airing that. All right. Coming right around on tax season here. Uh, yeah. We just had a discussion about it. So. All right. Uh, what do you have? Okay. Yeah. The Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces. Uh, if you don't know what Clubhouse is, uh, it's a new social network where users can listen to conversations between anyone in audio form, very similar to a podcast, but it's more of like a... Uh, you start up a conversation room and people can come listen into a live thing. It's like a conference call, which doesn't, I don't think that entices many listeners here, but you know, when the rooms close uh, and that's what they call these things, they disappear. Although they are, you know, using Chinese servers, which is a little strange and they're getting people's contacts, um, which I thought was a little, again, a little strange, but uh, it's not stopping anyone. Uh, but growth has been phenomenal for the company. I think they're valued at over a billion dollars now. And they're less than a year old. Uh, and they've gotten growth from like having Elon Musk go on and Kanye West and a bunch of other big names. I think Zuckerberg was on for a bit. Vlad Tenev. Vlad Tenev was on there. Yeah. And it's, it's invite only right now. And it's only on iOS. So it's kind of creating that classic FOMO effect mm-hmm. that social apps have. But uh, the real discussion I wanted to have was Twitter. Uh, they're coming in with launching Spaces, which is basically a copycat, but it's going to be embedded into the Twitter feed. And then Facebook is apparently launching something soon. Uh, do we think Twitter has a chance to succeed here? I think spaces could work. Yeah. I, Probably I mean, better than fleets, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, fleets was a flop. Um, but the, how many times now are you seeing people post like clubhouse clips 
on mm-hmm. Twitter. It just makes it feel like they could bring that in-house. Um, maybe even an acquisition of Clubhouse if Spaces ends up sucking, but we've seen how their acquisitions go with Vine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. It seems like it's not hard to replicate, so I don't know why they would acquire them, for, especially when it's over a billion dollars now, but yeah. they definitely could. I yeah. mean, if you look at, I was just thinking like for our show, there's definitely something you could do with that. I see a lot of traction on it. I see a lot of people trying to get interested in it. I don't, I'm always a slow adopter of anything social media oriented. So <laughs> I don't know, maybe we could merge into that, do well, CCM spaces. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was thinking, yeah, for us, for finance, it definitely, there's definitely a, not a, there's a, what a, what do you, what do you call it? Uh, product market fit i do hate using that term but there is that you know with yeah. fintwit um what do you think about like other parts of twitter though it's hard to say i mean maybe sports could work stuff like that but yeah i mean i could see almost like the gaming market where you have Ooh, people gaming, that yeah. like uh you're you're like commentating what's going on so like a big cat or a bar stool someone from bar stool is watching a game you could like listen in yeah. on their spaces listen to what they have to say because, yeah because i think it works like for that. a lot of markets like a diff- a lot of different markets. Yeah, I guess that is interesting because there are the live streams for um, the sports companies like to do this a lot, or the sports media companies, excuse me, they like to do live streams during the game to try to re- replace the broadcast. But mm-hmm. it's really hard to like integrate because you're watching it on the TV and usually it's like live on Instagram or Periscope and that doesn't really mesh well. This could maybe mesh better if it was audio only. Yeah, potentially. Um, um, okay, what do you think though on... One concern I had, though, is like, how do you make this a business? You know what I mean? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, imagine listening to a conference call and then hearing like a 15-second ad. That seems a little strange. But I, I don't know. Is, well, this, we're an gonna ad, come up, is yeah. this an ad-based business? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. The, uh, and where would you fit the ads in? Maybe it's like… In between or you're forced to listen to it. Like before <laughs> joining the room, you might be forced to listen to it. But they said they're trying to do tipping which would be kind of similar to a Twitch model where you can maybe subscribe yeah. to people or do a, you know, not a, I don't know, kind Tipping's of a interesting. Thing. Yeah. Tipping is interesting. Maybe um, like exclusive clubhouses or exclusive spaces where you have to like pay to enter them. So like, I'm sure people would pay 99 cents to listen to Kanye and Elon talk. Yeah. Um, so I mean, maybe something like that. Yeah. I always get worried though when, a platform like this is built on a the growth is built on a celebrity presence because that to me doesn't seem sustainable. Yeah, it's usually a bad sign. Okay, and then I had the last thing I thought the most interesting was uh, Stratechery gave out a free article on this, which I loved. Uh, still don't subscribe to that. Uh, we're we're broke over here, but they discussed how these you know ubiquitous, easy to do audio conversations will maybe replace casual podcasts. So leaving the premium shows to someone like Spotify or Apple. I guess the video analogy is the difference between an ad-supported TikTok and YouTube versus like Netflix and HBO. Do you agree that there could be this separation between the casual audio on something like Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces and then the premium stuff sitting on something like Spotify? Yeah. Yeah, potentially. It, it's, uh, I don't know. it's hard to like call podcasts the radio now, yeah. but it feels a little bit like that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe if I mean, because Clubhouse and Spaces are they kind of interactive? Kind yeah, yeah. You, you can, can raise you, you right? raise your hand and stuff. And I, I bet they're. I mean, they're just getting started. I bet you can do a lot more with that. But hmm. the thing is, when the 
The thing I don't get about those is that when they're recorded, or sorry, they aren't recorded. When they're done, they're gone. I, I don't know if that's the best way to do it. I think it would be interesting know. for us to record a live show on Twitter Spaces, but also have it recorded and then embedded into like Spotify. People said the same thing about like Snapchat with pictures. Mm, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe. Maybe it makes it more of like a you got to be there kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe it works. But yeah, I, I, I'm surprised that you can't just like record them and upload them as a podcast. Yeah. They could replace – I don't know. There's a lot of ways they could go with this. I do think Twitter has – because the thing, or the thing about Twitter is that it replaced kind of like the blogs being – it separated blog bloggers from being just – they're all on these one websites. But then the ones that actually made it were – the ones that scaled and uh, went to subscription, excuse me. So then they didn't scale. They went premium to subscription. Those are the ones that survived because ad-supported blogs didn't really work. But then everyone else kind of migrated to Twitter and just kind of did the casual blogging. It, wonder, it feels like that's what this pod, this what Clubhouse or these audio chat rooms could be versus if blogs are kind of like podcasts, yeah. this could kind of take from that in the same way. I wonder if Spotify would have better success with a product like this than Twitter. Hmm. Something where it's a little more social, a little more interactive type podcast situation. Because uh, people have always said, like, just put the conference calls for, like, companies on Spotify, which would be nice. Yeah, I've um, always... That form of audio, like, a little, make it a little more social. Yeah, it's been confusing to me how there hasn't been comments on a podcast with Spotify or any sort of social interaction like that, even yeah. liking stuff or creating a playlist of podcasts. Maybe you can do that now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that could be something they do, but social hasn't been Spotify's best forte. It hasn't been their forte at all, you know? Uh, yeah, so I wouldn't worry about this. they tried and it just doesn't work that well. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. All right. Bumble IPO. Yeah. So stock jumped. It IPO'd last week. Stock jumped to $15.7 billion valuation, which puts them north of 30x sales. Three weeks ago, we did a deep dive on them. And all three of us, and that's me, you, and Ian, said that we'd be interested at a sub $5 million valuation, which uh, looks like we're going to be waiting a while potentially to, to yeah. look back into this thing. But I have to gloat. I did predict the highest uh, valuation of $12 billion, So Still wrong, but uh, I have to say I take the I take the trophy there. Uh, but oh God, I you know if this yeah I mean if this thing had IPO'd in twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. its valuation would be half of what it is right now. Less, definitely less. Like, I it'd probably be less than five because Match Group was so- trading at way less of a valuation. We still think Match Group whatever is like deserves a premium valuation, but it was trading at a sales ratio of way less than that. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, the business itself comes with its own risks. Like it feels like everything's priced to perfection. And even, okay, if this thing is like a best case scenario and it does well, it's priced like it's going to. And there's mm-hmm. still like business risks assessed with it. Like, I don't know. I don't. Is there, so is this a, just an example of why we have kind of said, all right, we're not touching IPOs for a, a long time right now or something has to change. Yeah, I just don't understand the – yeah. It's weird. Like it, I think anytime you look at an IPO, if you're an investor, I think you should ask, if this thing IPO'd four years ago, what would I pay for it? Mm-hmm. Because right now it's absurd. Like 
that is 15 billion for this business. 16 billion is uh, a valuation I can't get around. Yeah, I just can't wrap I, my head around that. And I think it is smart to do it without looking at whatever the rumors are, without looking at all that stuff. Put what the valuation you think it should go out at. Yeah. And then evaluate what would you pay that. for it? Yeah. Put that down and then look at it. And if it's a lot different, either A, you're wrong, or B, it's not something you want to own. I think the worst thing you can do is say, all right, this is what I'd pay for it. And then it goes out and then you try to justify its new valuation. Don't do yeah. that. It's, you know, you set your price beforehand, I think is mm-hmm. the best way to go about it. And sometimes and other times it's likely not going to happen right now, but sometimes you put your valuation prediction or whatever you put, you know, before anything actually comes out and then it gets priced a lot lower. And that's when you say, all right, maybe in the next, right when right. the lockup period ends or something, uh, I'll be interested in this thing. Yeah. I mean, it's just so, yeah, I just avoid IPOs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think our rule of thumb is wait till the lockup period ends or and, and wait for a 10K. Yeah. That's kind of what you do. All right. But another thing with Bumble is the management. So there's a lot of anecdotes out there about uh, especially the CEO yeah. and there's a lot of rumors and stuff about you know the past and tumultuous stuff. Does that concern you at all when looking at something like Bumble? Yeah. And it's like, I won't get into all of it. There have been articles written and like she had sort of a fallout at Tinder, but you know, it could have been on the other side as well. Like there should, could have been some faults there, but um, it does feel like the business was kind of developed out of spite. Uh, and I wouldn't have cared if, if it felt like she'd, uh, she had kind of moved ha- past it, but there was a lot of like hints in the S1 mm-hmm. back at Tinder, like, uh, like kind yeah. of bashing them, it's which kinda, felt yeah, yeah. like, I don't know, it felt targeted as like an anti-match group kind of thing, yeah. which seemed like she isn't as focused on her own company as she is on other competitors which is usually yeah. a bad sign it's classic the classic bezos quote like we focus on the customer first we worry about competitors but we don't focus on competitors i'm sure i'm paraphrasing that i think a big concern with management if there's evidence that management is exaggerating any part of their life or saying something that wasn't really necessarily true you're talking that, about like the the co-founder stuff yeah the co you know yeah. whatever there's a few different things out there that indicates to me okay well what else are they exaggerating yeah it kind of just opens up a can of worms where i'm like all right well what are they not being true there's also the age thing though which is like Mm -hmm. i I think younger younger executives are a little more braggadocious like true true just because they feel like that's the way they got to prove something yeah i mean even daniel lamp was kind of like that he definitely was was. so it's like and as they age i'm sure that kind of goes away but yeah, there there was a, a few red flags. Okay, and then the last topic I had was the Howard Marks Joe Greenblatt interview. Did you watch? Yeah, it I watched the first thirty minutes. Um, I probably should have kept going, but the uh, I resubbed this real vision for this. Uh, I'm gonna say I will be a. I'm gonna just pay for it. Screw it. I'm gonna just gonna pay for it. How much is that? Fifteen a month? Uh, less. It's two hundred bucks for a year. Is that less than fifteen a month? I, I don't think so. Think so. 15, yeah, 12 times 15. Oh, it's no, it's a little more. But yeah, just bit the bullet. I mean, yeah, I, I'm just going to be done. I can pay for it. Why you don't know, just go in and out? It's not, it's not worth, in my opinion, it is not worth subscribing every single month. It's worth subscribing when you see something you want because they advertise yeah. it. I, I mean, they're, I had it for a while 
And it's like they go through month and a half, two month periods where there's nothing that I want mm-hmm. to see. It's all like crypto or gold talk. Yeah, you know, I wish I, really I yeah, I do wish I could go to a separate one that's like five bucks and it's only like the you know the, the macro value, stuff. The, a little bit of macro, but value investing as well. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but that's not what this is about. So uh, Howard Marks and Joe Greenblatt, if you don't know, they've been around in investing for about 50 years each. So there's like a century worth of experience between them. Uh, they did do some macro talk, which we don't really need to talk about because it's always just talking in circles. But here are the kind of the two biggest takeaways and discussion points I had. First one, they talked about when you were uncertain about interest rates or more uncertain because there's always a little bit of uncertainty with interest rates or like GDP or government spending, kind of a period right now. As an investor, they typically try to lean towards a higher margin of safety. Do you think that's a good framework? Yeah. I mean, I think you should always lean towards a higher margin of safety, but the, especially when you don't understand something, but it feels like there's always a level of uncertainty. Well, it's it's not, it's just on a scale. Like when they're, when you're more uncertain, like a time like yeah. now, there's definitely more uncertainty. I know whatever Drunken Miller called it the wildest cocktail he's seen since, you know, he's been around for 40 years or whatever. Yeah, I think the uncertainty is around, uh, for them, the big uncertainty was around rates reverting, right? Uh, yeah, they, they said it was hard to predict where rates would be. Yeah. And that does impact valuations, so. I did like Howard Mark's statement where he's like, if you can comfortably predict that interest rates will stay where they're at or continue to drop, then yeah, we're, valuations are fine. But-, but- you can't predict that. Yeah, and Greenblatt was – I think he said he assumes it's a 6% hurdle rate at most um, points. That was his thing? Like, he just kind of does that to be super conservative, yeah. But there is the thing where you don't want to be too conservative, you know? Yeah, because then you're missing a lot of opportunities. Um, yeah. I don't, maybe there's a good rule of thumb, like 2% above. 2%, yeah, something like that. Or – yeah, because you don't – or just. I don't know. There's too many variables where it's hard to predict over like a four-year period or something. There's so many different things that can go into what would keep interest rates either low or cause them to rise. And it's just hard to predict. But the thing is, if you buy businesses at a valuation where you don't rely on interest rates, that's kind of what we kind of, you know, that's how we try to look at it. That's what we try. And people always like, well, just assume like the normalized rate. And it's like, what is, Mm -hmm. you have to go back. 20 years to find like a normalized rate about 5%, right? Yeah. Well, the the thing is rates, yeah, it's tough because one, there's not enough data behind it. And two, there's been a two, three century trend, long-term trend of interest rates kind of going lower. Yeah. yeah. But during those times, it's kind of been like a sinusoidal wave where it kind of goes up and down, up and down, up and down. Right. However, we're kind of at the bottom now. So it's tough to evaluate, but is it, honestly like the way I look at it is one we'll just invest where it doesn't matter. That's kind of I mean, yeah. and some people might think that's naive, but if you can't control it, I mean, if you're always focused on interest rates, it'd be pretty hard to have an incredible track record. Well, you, I'd say we're not smart enough, like a drunken yeah, Miller or something like that. There's guys that are smart enough to do that, but like even even Buffett was wrong about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And he, he even said it. Like He's like, my record in guessing, like forecasting macro stuff is terrible. Mm-hmm. And I, he's like, and I think I'm pretty good at it. But 
Yeah. The thing, though, I think the only thing you got to worry about right now is what the the leverage of someone's balance sheet. That's the only thing you got to worry about. Yeah. If you're relying on keeping a low interest rate to fund a company's operations, I would maybe be hesitant. And I mean, a lot of the businesses I own now, or we own, uh, are starting to take on some of those convertibles, or Mm -hmm. starting to refi, or not necessarily convertibles, but low, low interest, long term debt. But these are the com- what's strange is that these are the companies that generate cash. So that's a little different. You know what I mean? I think that's honestly smart. Yeah. We've discussed this because I, like, I, if a company does generate cash and you can get a 10-year bond at less than a 3% interest payment, to me that seems smart if you think that the cash flows are reliable. Yeah. And you always – but like how far can that go? Because mm-hmm. people always mm-hmm. start to stretch – AT&T yeah. stretched that band for a long time. Yes. Yeah. No, that is – it's and now you've line. got like an ultra leveraged balance sheet. Yeah. No, yeah. Some you got to track. Um, I don't know. All right. The second topic they had, uh, they said, you know, sometimes, or I guess the saying, if everyone knows the saying is like the most dangerous words in investing are this time it's different. Uh, but they were talking about how sometimes it is different and how the person that talked about that, who was Templeton, I think it's John Templeton, was said that, you know, 20% of the time it is different. But they... Uh, Marx and Greenblatt were talking about how in the 21st century, maybe it's different like 40% 40 of the time. Do you agree or disagree with that or does it not matter? Well, I think the focus was sort of centered around uh, margin expansion within the companies, right? And it also talked about uh, a lot of the companies that were operating at a loss, their CapEx – doesn't necessarily get recorded as CapEx, like mm-hmm. buying, mm-hmm. you know, Spotify, buying Megaphone. Like some of the acquisitions aren't always recorded. It's not. Well, that, no, in that case, it can, it's recorded as Goodwill, but it's weird that if they invested in their own, it might not be. Right. Netflix with new original movies, stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's not, that's not property, plant, and equipment. Um, so it maybe isn't recorded as capital expenditures, but those are the investments people are making now. And so sometimes we'll see those operating losses that aren't super indicative of the uh, actual profitability of the business. But uh, And uh, it's just less costly, uh, some of the businesses, like the digital yeah. native, you know, there's mm-hmm. just less spend on labor. Yeah, so that- I, I think that part is a little different. And it's interesting because the long-term trend has been that profits are about 6%. Gosh, what is it? Um, I don't want to get this wrong. So just if I'm getting the metric wrong, it's either like 6% of GDP or 6% of revenue or something. Uh, where, you know, in aggregate companies are at about, we're at about 6% and that has transitioned up to 12% as you might expect over the, the, the digital transition over the last few decades. Yeah. The only thing is, is that sustainable or are workers just going to ask for more of a salary? Because that means that more of it is distributed to the shareholders. That's yeah. a tough question to ask. But I think the easier thing to look at is for something like uh, with that um, intangible assets, where when I was trying to do Activision Blizzard's return on invested capital numbers, one, they had some goodwill in there, right? So it makes it kind of relevant from their acquisitions. But from what acquisition? The King? The main King and then smaller ones. I think they have like $9 billion in goodwill, which that makes sense, wow. right? But I was looking like each year they spent about a billion dollars on like content costs and uh, R&D, whatever that would be. Mm. So that's not put – that's going flowing through the income statement and it's not put down as assets. 
which might, to me, it feels like companies like that, their return on invested capital numbers are inflated. While it'd still be good, it feels like they're missing some of that capital contribution. Right? It is weird. Yeah. I mean, I recommend going and reading the Mobison paper, which kind of says, like, pull out some of that R&D spend. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it is so weird to me that R&D is an operating expense. Yeah. Because isn't that an investment almost always? I mean, at least 50% of the time, that's got to be an investment. Yeah, I think that's a good rule of thumb. But again, the one thing you can look at is just free cash flow. That kind of, you know, gets everything down to just cash. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, I thought it was a good interview. People should probably watch. I don't know. Definitely. I'd recommend watching it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one might have been free. No, that's why I subscribed. Are you sure? Because I was watching it. (laughs) No, I mean, for what? Maybe I already have have a. You may have had subscribing, and I don't know. Yeah, may, that could be it, but it could. I think of my free trial periods are gone. I don't know. All right, uh, current state of fintwit. I didn't have much because most of it got dumped into hot water and stuff. But uh, your lockup period is over on <laughs> Tesla and Bitcoin, and yeah. now you can say them in conjunction with one I, another. So, yeah. uh, how, got anything to say? Well. I think uh, that there's the one um, anonymous account on Twitter that said uh, it's. I think it's Nick, the, the you know the guy, the rent free guy. He's a good follow on Fintwit. But oh, right, he was right. like, they're all Doge coins to me. That was kind of his tweet. And I think that's kind of my framework for Bitcoin that people should probably, if anyone asks, kind of it. Like they're all just fairy dust, you know. But yeah. uh, as someone who is not an advocate for Tesla, as someone who's not an advocate for Bitcoin. Combining them together and putting all the risks in one basket, uh, I don't want. I don't, easier for you. I don't want people to lose money. I, I don't. I'm not voting for people to lose money, but I think it's a little risky for, for companies to. Do I, I saw a really good. I think it was like a meme on it where there's a guy tight roping, but tight walking a tightrope between like two skyscrapers. On one side, it was global reserve currency, and on, other, on another, it was like meme stock. <laughs> and it was Bitcoin walking in the middle. Like yeah. that seems like a pretty fitting meme. It's, yeah, yeah. And it's true. It's like everything that I don't know about computers and everything I don't know about finance or economics baked into one. Baked into one. Well, I think... But here, here's the thing, and maybe this is my naivete around Bitcoin, but what... What structural difference is there other than adoption between Bitcoin and Dogecoin? Well, I think there's some security. Is there? But again, I'm being naive. I don't know. I don't know. The, the, I think the way that anyone should look at it is that the narratives are colliding. And now it's all – both these companies are not – one of them is not a company. It's just uh, cryptocurrency. It's just, uh, it's all based on narrative. And the narrative could go on forever, but it is all based on narrative. Yeah, but could, I mean, I think the question is, is the narrative self-fulfilling at any point? That's that's the the trillion dollar question right there. (laughs) I mean, Tesla's kind of making it self-fulfilling if they can equity raise constantly. They could, but the return of us to capital is still zero. All right. Um, you have anything for current state of Fintwit? Yeah. Uh, one thing. A lot of talk this week, I think, on Twitter. I don't know what, what spurred this, but there's a lot of talk about investing psychology, especially around the tendency to not want to average up. Uh, have you dealt with this in the past or how have you done that and how hard do you think it is? Yeah. 
like I, I think everyone, whether or not they want to think about it, price anchors. Mm-hmm. And so I think the best thing you can do is when you buy stock in any company is to put the multiple down that you bought it at. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Like write it down, whatever you purchased at, just make sure instead of saying I bought the stock at blank, say I bought it at blank times earnings. You right. Know? Yeah. That's, that's good. Cause that way, you know, like you might be averaging up in price, but you might be averaging down in the multiple. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's just the best fix for individual investors. Uh, I think, yeah, you should just, but also you have to keep in like, there might be a reason the multiples lower or higher because the change of the margins on some of the businesses. So, yeah. The, I think you just have to go into it knowing that you're going to have the bias towards thinking that when the price is higher, it's not a buy. But you just have to know that and then kind of think, all right, I'm going to be biased towards thinking a higher price doesn't mean it's a good choice and just try to fight that as much as you can. Yeah. And, and the other thing is like if you focus less on the price and you focus more on the business, you'll realize as it goes along where they're sort of at in their life cycle. Because if you're paying more and more attention to the business and maybe it was cheaper uh, two years ago, but there was more risk with the business model then, and mm-hmm. there's less risk now, it might still be a better bet and you might have to average up, but it, yeah. it might be safer that way. Yep. Yeah. Oh, agreed there. Agreed. Okay. Nothing else to add. All right. We're going to hit a quick break. And then afterward, we got hot water, buy, sell, hold, and anecdotal evidence. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back in. Next up, we're going to hit hot water. You want to go first? I have two. Okay. Uh, I have three. Uh, I I don't know. I'll go first. Go Go ahead. Okay. uh, Match Group and Bumble. Uh, because there is officially now a dating app exclusively for Tesla owners called tesladating.co or something. Are you going to be joining this anytime soon? Oh, and it's like, <laughs> it's, for some reason, it actually doesn't surprise me. I don't know. No, it makes, a little, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, there could be one for Peloton owners too. I think that one makes more sense because... The Tesla, yeah. there's not really a identity with the Tesla brand outside of Tesla. It's just kind of like your identity is Tesla, but with like Peloton, it's like your identity is staying fit and healthy and stuff yeah. like that. I think that one makes sense. This one, let's be, I mean, there's not enough users, but yeah. What do you, any uh, other thoughts on that? Uh, gosh. Well, let's assume 50% of Tesla owners are married and what's the total TAM there? Yeah. Like, yeah. A little low. users. It's Probably I think less maybe. I don't know. I don't know if there will be that many. Uh, the majority of people that I know that own Teslas are guys, so I uh, it yeah, might be a little. That skewed. might be an unfortunate uh, dating app. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I don't think I'd have much much success there. All right, um, um, keep going. What's your second? Okay, one? Buffett. Uh, we don't need to say who it was because again, we gotta stay with the principles. Don't criticize people individually. But there is another person out there claiming that they are the next Buffett. Okay. And that is a red flag, right? Am I, are we on the same page there? 
Yeah, the, the one thing Buffett would never say is that he's the next Buffett. He would never say something like that. He would never claim he is the next big thing. That's what made him Buffett. So saying you're mm-hmm. the next Buffett is kind of, I don't know. People can call you Moronic. the next one. It is, yeah, I mean, uh, it's not, I mean, if, I, yes. it's safe to say now, it's not going to end well. It, I, I will put my chips in the middle and say that whatever this thing that's going on right now will end poorly. When people are good at what they do, they tell everyone. When people are great at what they do, people tell them. Mm, that is, that's good. That the is rule good. of thumb. So just remember that. Keep that in mind. Yeah. All right. Number three. What do you number have? Three. Uh, oh, actually, I have four. Sorry. Page break. This one, they'll, they'll be short though. Notion, the note-taking app, its web domain was hosted in Somalia and they had problems renewing it. Uh, so they couldn't get the new dona- domain going. Hopefully, we don't have that problem with our two websites. Uh, I thought the, uh, the the classic dad joke is they could do the, you know, the one where uh, I am the captain now <laughs> stuff. But. I've al- yeah, I've always found uh, I've always found that fascinating that like people forget to renew those domains because if you do it with the right business, you can make a lot of money. Uh, yeah, what are the yeah people made? I would love to be a domain pirate. You know, one of the people that's just like hunting for domains. That was a big thing back in the '90s, I believe. You could sell. I, I believe McDonald's sold for McDonald's.com or whatever sold for five million or something wow. like that. You could make some money, but I, I think the easy money's been made as they yeah, say so. with, with domains. All right, uh, you got a fourth? Uh, yeah, fourth one. So yield is in hot water because we are getting an insane amount of convertible offerings right now, as we talked about earlier on the show. Just some examples. Peloton just did $875 million in convertible notes at 0% interest due in 2026. Smile Direct Club did $650 million, which is a lot for them. Which zero- one Smile? What do they do again? They're like Invisalign. Right, okay. But direct to consumer, I think. I haven't looked at them. Um, they did a 0% note due in 2026. Again, 0% interest on a convertible note due in 2026. Marriott just did 0% due in 2026. Fubo, which a company that just hemorrhages money, got $350 million in a convertible note due 2026 at a 3% interest rate, mm. which I think is very low. Uh, two questions here. Is this smart from the growth companies? And is it smart for the creditors? to be doing convertibles. Yeah. From the growth companies, yes. Oh, it's clearly smart, yeah. 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 Uh, from the creditors, I don't know. That seems a little risky. I guess each of those businesses is a little different. Fubo's creditors, I might uh, raise my eyebrow at. But uh, I don't know. Peloton seems reasonable. But I guess, you know. You have the option to get stock, though, so. Yeah. But doesn't it have to meet a certain price? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it obviously has a meet and start price, but wasn't there like a specific sort of rule that was in uh, Pelotons? Uh, I didn't look that up, no. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Either okay, way. Yeah, I, like I said, there's a lot of companies raising cheap debt right now. I would, uh, yeah, I don't know why people are not. Okay, well, not necessarily you can, a bad thing. It's n- no. If you're in a growth, if you're a growth company like Peloton, I mean, clearly that's smart. Uh, if you're worried about debt as a whole in the system, Maybe that's a concern, but on an individual level, if you're looking at a company, I mean, it seems like the smart move to do. Yeah. All right. My hot water for the week. My first one is sports betting. So this is kind of old news, but I forgot to mention it last week. So you remember that streaker from the Super Bowl? Yes. 
So apparently there was a bet on Bovada, uh, which is like a sports betting site, uh, about whether or not someone would streak. Uh, so it was plus 750 odds. So uh, I'm not really – 7.5. Yeah, you get I'm it. not great with you sports get se- betting odds, you get but seven, if you bet $1,000, ex- you get 7500 Yeah, you can 7X your money pretty much when getting the VIG in there. Okay. So this guy, the guy that streaked, bet $40,000 before the game. And it cost him $500 to pay bail. He got paid out about 300 k uh, net. Is this the downside of sports betting that <laughs> bettors could potentially try to influence results? Well, I think that's no different than any parts of the business world. But that's a good story. Are you sure it's true? Yeah. It was confirmed true? And th- Yeah. I mean, this guy, he said he's paying off his parents' mortgage. Smart. I mean, credit to him. Smart move. But he sounded also a bit like a scumbag. From, from the rest of it, it's he's like friends with a guy that does this regularly. He did it in like the World Cup <laughs> final. He had people, someone do it. So he was like wearing that pink thing you might have seen. Ah, uh, yeah. That's like an advertisement for this guy's business. It's like a YouTube thing where it goes and streaks at games. Yeah, I can't wait for him to watch a cryptocurrency. <laughs> anyway, uh, pay to play video games is also in hot water. This is a little more serious. Um, so Rocket League players can buy a Ford F-150 inside the game. So like that nice. they can use that car. Do you know how Rocket League works? It's kind of yeah. like the like, soccer with cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the company or the game is owned by Epic Games. So I'm wondering, uh, and this is in conjunction with Ford's new rollout, uh, and they'll also be having, they had an ad component to it as well. Do you think this is where the world of gaming is heading, where you're having sort of these interactive ads or sponsorship deals? It could be part of it, yeah, for sure. Because Nike, uh, Marvel, they've done stuff with Epic Games now where they're in the Fortnite world. Yeah, it just – yeah, it'll be part of it. I don't think it's going to take away from anything else though. No, but I mean does that kind of uh, boost sort of the gaming revenue in your mind over the next decade? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a big growth part of that. I think you can lock whatever, however they monetize it, partnerships with icons and digital. It doesn't make sense to me, but the, you know, what digital stuff. Yeah. That I mean, that's going to be a huge part of. I think you can really lock that in as being a huge part of the growth in the video game industry over the next ten years. And it's even uh, that's just more incentive to move away from pay to play, right? Like. Yes, that's how I mean. That's how you monetize the free-to-play stuff. That's the reason the in-game yeah. purchases in general, I guess. You know. Yeah. All right. Uh, buy, sell, hold. The theme this week is uh, I'm sticking with gaming. So, All right. Unity, Epic Games, and Roblox. Because we just talked about Epic Games. Um, <laughs> get all of them. Two of those 50, are private, obviously. Yeah, get, but get all of them for fifty times sales. Hey, some of those, I mean they're great businesses. Yeah. Just, one of them is uh, priced pretty well in the public markets. That is true. Are we going to assume a similar valuation around forty to fifty, whatever? You yeah, know? just focus. Yeah, focus on the business. Which businesses would you business buy, sell, or hold? Uh, I mean, they're all good businesses. It seems like I'd probably. Mm, it's interesting. I think I'd rather own Unity, maybe, and then hold Epic Games because those whoever. Yeah, both I think those they're a little seem- more reliable. Like yeah. I, I think their success is a little safer than Roblox because there there is always the mm-hmm. risk that Roblox is the Minecraft ten years later. That is that is the risk. Yeah, Roblox definitely has more risk, but 
since I think they have higher upside potentially yeah. because it's not just the back end, uh, they're consumer facing. So yeah, tough to say, but I think I'd, yeah, I'd rank them as, you know, if they're all at similar valuations, I'd uh, I don't know. Maybe Unity one. They all kind of still, mesh together. It's definitely not investment advice, but I mean, you got to love all three of those. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. All right. Uh, anecdotal evidence. Um, I have two. Oh, I have three. Oh, wow. Okay. I'll go first. Uh, so you might have this one as well, but we started reading the Spotify play this week. I, I know I did. Um, pretty good book. I'm blanking on who wrote it. I'm forgetting the name. Swedish journalist, yeah. Uh, but good book. I'm enjoying it, and I'm starting to see a different side of Daniel Eck. He's a little bit of a party boy. Also, uh, uh, Martin Lorenzen was basically Ehrlich Bachman. I know, yes, I know, yes. Sean Parker was basically Ehrlich Bachman, but so two, was Martin Lorenzen. They had two Ehrlich Bachmans on staff. Yeah, like the guys with just the money that were like come in and interrupt meetings. Oh, Lorenzen was, yeah. Uh, Something. He was something. Yeah. Good book. Yeah. I mean, if you're interested in Spotify, I'd probably read that. Get the whole background of the culture of the company. It's evolved. It was definitely a shaky company. They almost failed a few times. Oh, definitely. For sure. Uh, they had a huge headwind but- from Apple and the record labels. The record labels, I think the big takeaway from that, and I'm biased because we're Spotify shareholders, but the biggest takeaway is that the labels are just so stingy and grumpy and like little like trolls living under a cave. I don't know. Well, and it's also proof that they're like preserving their once great business model as yeah. hard as they can. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is it's kind of a testament to Spotify's product and how much better it was than everything else. Because you think about Beats Music and all those other things that were launched, RDO or whatever. Rhapsody, Pandora. Rhapsody, Pandora. I mean, it trounced them all in the end. And it did not always have the best relationships like Apple did with the labels. Yeah. They, I mean, they've probably evolved to have great relationships with the labels now, or I'd assume so, or it's more of a frenemies type deal. But uh, do you think the key was the freemium? It's kind of how they framed it. I, I think the key was the freemium model. Yeah. Yeah. And the user interface, um, it sounds like the, the experience the streaming experience and the actual tech was far superior to some of the competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then discovery. they, really, they I, really hyped up that like, well, gosh, what's his name? There was like the one developer that they brought in. Oh, from Apple? Lude? Ludwig? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. And they brought in some. So- Soderstone? The other names are very confusing. It's all Swedish guys, but. Yeah. But he like ran the whole thing. He developed literally the entire back end yeah. in the early days. I forget who that was. Yeah, yeah, there was a good there was a good programmer. And then also the people that came up with Discover Weekly. That was huge. Uh the people in New York. Yeah. Yeah. That was they were that good was too. huge. That was huge too. All right. Uh second one is the roses feature on Hinge. So mm, you've been using it? Uh briefly. I mean you only get the <laughs> you one, only get one, week, one a week, yeah. I think this does totally change where uh, totally changes the direction that some of the dating apps can go because uh, so I'll try to describe it for anyone that is not using the dating apps is basically typically the way you have it is you scroll through profiles and it's like a binary decision so it's either yes or no yes or no over and over this is different you get to sort of screen multiple 
pages kind of at the same time and then pick one and send a rose. So it's a little more catalog approach instead of like just the binary decisions over and over. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot like Instagram for dating. And then you just, if you wanted to spend, if you wanted to do more than one rose a week or whatever, then you have to pay money. So it's like Instagram for dating. And then you just buy. Yeah. If you want more than one rose. to shoot your shot. (laughs) And the roses are supposed to be like premium likes. And I think the key was something like hinge and while it'll probably work there. But again, we're talking our book uh, a lot this show. The, uh, the thing with Hinge is there's more information about the person on the profile, mm. uh, which is why the rose thing, because it's more relationship focused. So that is probably why it could work there really well. Yeah. And yeah, it, it seems like if they were moving to social, if they were trying to go more social component and less just swipe left or right, like if they were trying to move towards a social media, I think this is the way to do it. Potentially, yeah. And then they just bought this company, which is my anecdotal evidence. Is that your last one? Yeah. If you want to, okay, I'll just transition to the, this was going to be my last one, but we've had a week to sit on the match acquisition of HyperConnect. What are your thoughts? Uh, from what I initially saw, I like it a lot, but I don't quite understand the product entirely. No, yeah, the product still get yeah, something to get used to. I guess I wrote some for the Molly Fool on it, so I did have to do a little more research. So they have one part of it that is a basically, I mean, it's like a non-gross chat roulette uh, where you can meet people worldwide. That one seems weird, but it is the biggest part of the business. And then there's one called Akuna Live, which is more of a video broadcasting thing, which seems a bit similar to Clubhouse to me. So we'll see how that kind of fits into the social network uh, part of it, but. It's interesting how they're trying to go into social and merging that with dating potential. The potentials for that seem interesting, although I don't know how much of a business case there is for that. But it looks like they got HyperConnect at a decent valuation. It's, they say that they they believe they can get them up to similar operating margins, and they got them for eight times trailing sales. Uh, so that's not a steal, but it, it, I mean, yeah. they're growing quickly. I don't mind the price they paid. I don't understand the obsession with video. There has yeah, been like a yeah. – and maybe it's less American. Maybe it's more international where that market is. But like my inclination is not to FaceTime someone on a dating app. Yeah. Like, yeah. But maybe that's – Well, it maybe because it's not good Western. enough. That's maybe it's not good enough right now. That's yeah, probably their thought. But – that is the risk. There is a risk that they're going to be wasting a bunch of capital trying to put in a bunch of investments into video when it's not actually, you know, users don't want it that much. Yeah. Okay. But, but they're doing, what was it, 200 million in revenue? Yeah, 200 million revenue trailing. They're thinking they're going to get to 300 million this year with Hakuna Live, which is only at 10 million uh, users. Uh, so that one's growing really rapidly. Uh, it seems like it's pretty easy to monetize that one with the broadcasting teams and stuff like that. It also gets them an entrance into South Korea, uh, but yeah, I don't know. All right, next. Okay, uh, let's see. So Facebook is thinking of making a smartwatch. Uh, there's rumors of that. Are you in or out? I'll give a little context here. So Josh Wolf, who's our, one of our favorite followers on Fintwit, and is a big reason I subscribe to Real Fish, to be honest. Uh, he alluded it to being more than just an Apple Watch, and he knows this because the v- his VC firm was the lead investor in Control Labs, Labs, which got bought out by Facebook and was a touch and movement device connected to your um, thought. It's like a computing device connected to your thoughts where you can kind of control things. This is the mind control product he had. Yeah. Do you think the potential with that being connected to a watch, I think that could be pretty cool. If it's real, yeah, that would obviously be massive. Um, 
But I just like my natural instinct is to say like that's not going to work at first. With uh, just because being of- able to like change the temperature with your hand yeah. being away from the thermometer or whatever the I don't know. You got the you got the teams at Oculus. You got the teams there at uh, Control Labs. I've honestly uh, I've never liked Facebook's hardware. Is yeah, a potential that's true. Problem. That's true. That is a problem. But the Oculus seems good now. So who knows? Not to mention Facebook's brand makes like new product launches so hard. Yeah, that's why the portal is the best product, but it's I mean, I don't think that those products really have much of a the thought of something Facebook related being that close to you for that long concerns people. people. Yeah. I would honestly like I think I would be comfortable doing it if it's that cool and useful. Okay, yeah. But but uh, I don't think a lot of people are. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they come out with. All right, fun one to end with this anecdotal evidence. Uh, so there's a crypto mogul, as they call him. So again, don't want to say who it is. Uh, who bet on meme investing? Feels like a very bad time step. I'm going to read some quotes here to close out the show uh, for the current market moment. So he said, "Quote: Elon Musk is not only a company CEO, but he is also the representative of this kind of meme culture and the representative of this kind of new generation movement." In the future, these kind of community-driven trends require company CEOs to be more engaged with the community, with their fan base. Agree or disagree? No. No. Okay. Here's, here's another quote. Speaking the same time, same week Elon Musk announced he put $1.5 billion worth of Tesla's Incorporated's cash in Bitcoin, Sun said that a new type of internet-driven investing would benefit – sorry, I said his name. It doesn't matter who it is would benefit cryptocurrencies as well as shares of companies that are able to understand and latch onto, quote, meme culture. It feels so... It, it's just insane, isn't it? Isn't it insane? I feel like I'm living I in a dream. Pe- I think people are getting the wrong idea. These companies sell things other than their stock. Their goal is not to just raise more and more cash. Like, some of them are cash flow generative. Some of them have real <laughs> businesses where they sell actual products, not just stock. And so you don't like the appeal. If you want fans, you should appeal to customers, not appeal to uh, Invest- Reddit investors. Yeah. Well, the thing, yeah. So it's it can be helpful to have a narrative that was very helpful to Amazon and Netflix, right? They yeah. kept their shareholders with a decade long time horizon, but they have viable business models. It took a while to flesh out these business models. It just feels that article to me. I felt like I was living in a whole new world. Like, also, I'm not a fan of the term crypto mogul yet. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> yeah, you mean scam artist? I don't know. <laughs> I'm. I think next week I'm gonna do some research on BlockFi because I was looking at BlockFi and that stuff. It looks insane. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but. I don't know how you're lending out money on, on coins that are that volatile, but we'll see. Well, I might do some research on it. All right. That's going to do it. Uh, we want to remind our listeners that we are general partners at Arch Capital and we might hold positions uh, in anything discussed on the podcast. We're also not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.